This is Johnny Blue Star. Welcome to Threshold, a global media event. Is the universe just a random dance of atoms, or is it a manifestation of a supremely intelligent architect? Can its purpose, or our purpose here on Earth, be adequately assessed? Can we commune with it, know its intentions, cooperate with its direction? Here, we define Threshold as a gateway state of awareness, allowing mankind to cross into a place of real cognition. Threshold allows us to approach questions of higher reality through the door of experience rather than mere belief. Welcome to Threshold, where we tear away the veil from commercial media, bringing our audience and participants into another realm of reality and enhanced communication. R. Berger, also known as Laughing Larry Berger, a motivational speaker and poet. Larry has a long history as a successful poet and is a successful trainer as well. Let's begin by looking. Larry, uh, good morning. Good morning. You know, we have you have a lot of background, man. And, uh, and of course, being someone who's been interested in poetry my whole life, I want to talk to you about that, but I think we should be practical and look a, look a bit at your work as a motivational speaker. Let's just talk about that for a little bit. Um, how did you get started in motivational speaking? Well, I started in motivational speaking by developing myself to the point where I want to train people. There's a saying uh, started, I believe, by Damon Johnson that you make it, you master it, you mentor it. I've oh, been, right. that's interesting. I've been doing the making and the mastering for a while. Now it's time to mentor it. So it's time to share what I know. And uh, that's how I got started. Well, let's, let's look about, um, I mean, you've done a lot of different programs, but tell us a little bit about your favorite programs and workshops that you might be doing pretty soon. Well, my favorite workshop is Sales 101. Oh, really? That's my favorite workshop. I've got a 30-year sales background that started when I was six years old. Sales 101 to me covers a lot of personal ground. It covers poetry. It covers sales. It covers uh, ways to deal with your children. It covers ways to deal with life. And I just... I deal with a lot of the stuff in it that is very important to me, so it's my favorite program. Well, can I tell you a little story, though? Sure. Uh, about a sales program I took? Because yeah. I was in radio, and when I was in radio, not only did I, I um, sell advertising, but I created the spots. I, I always insisted on it, and I d directed them. I sometimes voiced them. I uh, wrote them and all this. So... Um, we had a sales conference with this outside sales expert. So this guy sits around and he gives a hundred different closes. And when he's finished with his spiel, I said to him, hey, you know, what about the advertising that you're doing for people and the results, you know, from the advertising, the commercials, you know, what we do when we sell radio? And, and the, the, the guy who was in charge, the general manager, interrupted and he said, well, you got to understand, Johnny, we're all criminals here. 
<laughs> so, so he said, we, we, we are con like confidence men because we don't really care that much about the commercials. So I, I, I found that to be absolutely disgusting. But um, I'm sure that's not how you look at it either, right? I mean, poets are the ultimate salespeople. Yeah. They, they sell ideas. They help people make the connection. Sales is all about the exchange. It's about trading what you want for or what you need to get. You know, it's like teaching your kids to eat their vegetables. It's a sales call. Yeah. Getting, getting your woman to marry you is a sales call. That's sales 101. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, tell me about your program. How is it structured, so to speak? Well, we go through the basic parts of a sale, open, pitch, close. We go through what it, with the definitions of a sale. What is a sale? It's the exchange factor. And we take an arts view of it in that the valuation for an artist is a, a bard's tale is worth a portion from the table and a poet's song is worth a cup of wine. So if you think about it, you're always getting a certain value for what you want to get. It's the exchange factor. It's not the money. Right. And that's what I go over. Well, you know, I noticed, uh, I know that you write screenplays and stuff, and I do too. And I've noticed that, um, that a lot of the actual sales aspect as a, as a writer, as a screenwriter, or as uh, someone wanting to produce something, it's, it's, it's been codified. You know, it's been, the, the people are teaching people how to make pitches, things like that, you know? There's almost a formality about it, written right. pitches. And what do you think about that? Well, there's three parts to a sale, the open, the pitch, and the close. If all you're doing is pitching, you're not opening any business and you're not closing any sales. If all you're doing is opening business, you're not pitching anybody, so nobody's going to know what you do, and you're not going to make any sales. If you're always closing, who are you closing? you got nobody to talk to because you're not opening or you're not pitching. So you need all three parts. Yeah. Well, that's true. And uh, what about the ethics of it? Like I said, the, the ethics is, you know, it's an exchange factor. You're not trading your soul for a dollar. You're exchanging your time and effort for sustenance. Whether it's affection, whether it's financial illumination to pay your bills, whether it's the love of a partner, whether it's the love of a child, whether it's the love of a pet, you're exchanging what you need for what you want. It's not, uh, sales is not about uh, the demonization of marketing and sales. Marketing is different from sales. It's the uh, image of a salesman I'm trying very hard to change because, you know, I'm a snake oil salesman. I used to sell oil wells, shares in oil wells. <laughs> okay. I, literally, my job was to raise money to get the grease out of the ground and punch holes in the ground. We punched holes in Snake Mountain, so I'm a snake oil seller. Oh, yeah, that, that legitimizes it then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things, there's two things that, uh, that I, I, I think of. One of them is about, like, 
I'm reading a book that's really interesting. It's about the history of Werner Erhard, who developed the S system. And he became extremely famous in his own uh, industry, which was, uh, he was working for Parent, Indus Parent Magazine, which was teaching children, or teaching adults how to work with their children. And one of the things that he said is when, when you go to a door, step backwards instead of pushing yourself in. In other words, give your, give your uh, potential client some space. And I always thought that was really important. The other thing that I noticed when I was doing sales and radio, and I did radio sales a lot, and, and I did actually other types like newspaper sales, but radio sales, I would, I would go beyond the sale of the, of the, the commercial. And I would talk to them about their logo and their slogan and their, you know, website, whatever, whatever was relevant. <clears throat> and they really appreciated that. So they looked at me for something more. I didn't charge them for it, but I, I gave them a little bit more than they, they expected. That's why poets are the ultimate salesman. You know, poets yeah. sell ideas. You know, you're, you're a poet. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, poet, there's this thing in sales called pitching the dream. Yeah. There's a thing in sales called painting the vista. Well, that's our world. You're painting a vista. You're just using words and pitch and uh, images created in your, in your uh, sales pitch to do it. That's straight out poetry, John. <laughs> well, one of the things I remember, I, I, I work for something called Wonder Cuts. The, the, this guy, I, I tried to deal with him. I made 20 calls on him, and I never stopped because he had a franchise. He was a lawyer who went into a, like a beauty franchise, cutting hair and so forth. So eventually I came up with the idea of the dimension, man, the dimension master who worked in the Wonder Zone. <laughs> and I did a ton, a ton of commercials with that guy. I was always interested in making something really different, you know, if I could. And... Um, so, yeah, I guess we poets can do better, huh, than the normal? Well, not necessarily better, but we're a little bit more into the idea and the image than the sale itself. We're exchanging value based on our concept of what they need and what, we need, what they've told us they need rather than what we need to put in our pockets. Yeah, and I think that's really good, you know, and it's more creative, too. It's more fun, yeah. isn't it? I mean... Much more fun. And I, I used to actually... <clears throat> I used to actually like the canvassing. Most people don't like canvassing. But uh -huh. to me, it was like just this <clears throat> incredible challenge. And, uh, you know, sometimes you, you'd have people crowded, customers crowding around, and you have to come back. But eventually... When I start, when I could talk to them, and if they were the appropriate kind of uh, client, it really would work well. So I think that you know that, that's another part of sales, right? You have to Definitely. set up your prospects. Definitely, open pitch close. You know, the open starts at "Hey, you," and goes until you're ready to make your presentation. The pitch could be an hour; it could be five minutes. It depends on how much you want to give them. You know, the close is making the exchange happen when you're ready. It doesn't, you know, it could take one call. It could take 150. It just happens when it's ready. What about, okay, so this is sales 101. Right. And how many people would be enrolled in this at one time? It, uh, I usually do between 5 and 20. 
And are these people in one company, or is it uh, different people from different companies? I've done them for individual companies. I've done them as a public seminar, open to free and clear to anybody. I've done them as school presentations. I've done them for nonprofits. It depends on who I'm working with. Okay, well, what are some of the other um, sort of workshops oh that you have? I have one coming up called Poetizing and Profitizing, the two types <laughs> of currency. Uh, it's fame and fortune often go hand in hand, but they're two separate things. Uh -huh. uh, as a poet, I mean, I'm fairly well known. I've got pictures of me hanging in the Smithsonian Institute. I'm recognized as one of the top poets in Southern California, even though I now live in Rochester. Uh, I've got all kinds of things going on. I've been in all kinds of festivals. I've done all kinds of things that's famous, and I've made some money too, but I've got a name that allows me to get the money. First you got to come fame, then you come fortune. If nobody knows about you, nobody's going to pay you. That's right. You have to build your image. Publicly. So I go over the different types of uh, image ver venue versus national, uh, local versus venue, regional versus local, and so forth. And then I go, I go into three tips on how you can make money from poetry. Well, I, can you share any of that with me? Sure. Uh, teach, sell, write. Uh, that's interesting. Well, um, what about uh, anything else that you're planning on doing immediately? Any other workshops? Uh, we've got another one coming up called The Three Cures for the 800-Pound Phone Syndrome. Uh-oh, what's that? Well, I spent a lot of time in phone sales. I had a car accident in 1984 where I smashed my left knee and couldn't walk. So I had to figure out what else I could do. So I got back into phone sales because I could talk to people, so I had to make money by my voice. So I was constantly calling people and selling products over the phone, but it's very hard to get that phone to pick it up after the thousandth rejection. Yes, I know. I know because when I, when I left, I had to leave Tulsa because I had a, like a business – to business type of business where I sold them printing and uh, various various other things and uh, I had to leave and I got to Coachella Valley and the only thing I could get was like phone sales and um, I, I found it extremely interesting you know because you know I, I developed a, a, a fairly good system but you've got to in that case you've got to open real cleverly to keep them on the phone right yep and, you know, every once in a while, it gets hard to pick up the phone. So I, I dreaded picking up the phone for a while, even though it was how I made my living. So I found three cures to get over the, the dread of the phone, three ways to manage the phone so I could keep calling, keep making money, and keep my spirits up without getting depressed because of all the rejection. Okay, no self-flagellation, though. You're not whipping yourself or anything. No. So, can you give it a hint about one of the cures? Avoid it. You go to the coffee room, you go to the break room, yeah. you go to the bathroom, you talk to your colleagues, you get advice from your manager, and then you get back on the phone. 
I think that's a good idea. I think I did that myself because it does get kind of tedious, but it also is, it can be very challenging. And what is, uh, I know, I don't think you're doing this anymore, but what was or is a Picasso training? Oh, Picasso training. That was a project developed for a nonprofit that was based, uh, self-esteem training based on the life of Pablo Picasso. Wow. Could you give just a clue there? Because I really like uh, sure. listening divided, to stories about Picasso. Okay, it was divided into five modules. Picasso the painter, Picasso the illustrator, Picasso the sculptor, Picasso the ceramicist, and Picasso the man. Uh-huh. Picasso has over 1,300 works. He had a 75-year career as an artist. And he literally changed the art world forever. Oh, yeah, he sure did. Yeah. So I use him as a way to develop self-esteem in people uh, that worked out pretty well. Although I did change the name to Beyond Esteem. Oh, Beyond Esteem. That's cool. I had to. I, I never got permission from the Picasso family to use the name, so I had to change it. Oh, okay. Well, anyway... Um I'm glad to hear about that. That's interesting. Well, we're going to take a break now, and we'll be right back with Laughing Larry Berger. This is Johnny Bluestar, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. Initially, I wanted to be a playwright, but once in college, I fell in love with movies and have been writing my own and for clients for many years. No, I'm not entrenched in Hollywood. But I think if you look at my samples, you can determine if I can capture the drama and power of your idea. I'm up to refining your work to professional quality. I've worked on dramatic films, comedy, science fiction, documentaries, and even musicals. I have several books published now that are the beginning of book and film franchises. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com and fill out the contact form. The following is from West Side Warrior, the memoir of Ray Boylan, a Korean War veteran and crime fighter. He was there fighting in the world's coldest battlefield when the Chinese communists invaded. Desperate squad members ran past our foxhole yelling, Get the hell out of here! There's too many of them! Again, we saw the Chinese soldiers charge again with opium-induced mindlessness, oblivious of our bullets. Again, we heard the bugles and whistles. Climbing out of our foxhole, Bob dropped two hand grenades behind us, and I threw one over my shoulder. Bullets whizzing by our heads, Bob and I became bolts of lightning flashing across the mountainside. Like a hideous film, desperate scenes like this played out on the Tokong Pass for three days. Sometimes I played in the scene. Sometimes I could only watch and wonder if it were real, or if I'd be suddenly jolted out of my trance by an RKO usher saying, Hey, did you kids sneak in here? To acquire this book, Google westsideWarrior.boylan.kindle. Boylan is spelled B-O-Y-L-A-N. That's Westside Warrior Boylan Kindle. And now, light storms give you love. But now it's time to face the truth 
and not the lie that's any. I'm disillusioned, I'm discontent. Father, understand me. Back on Threshold Radio with Laughing, Laughing Larry Berger, and who's a poet, he's an entrepreneur, he's a screenwriter, he's had experience with, <laughs> with selling oil well, oil well potentials. I don't know if there's anything he hasn't really done. He, 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 he ran a uh, Baskin Robbins franchise. I think that uh, he has uh, done, he may not actually be just one person. He may be several people. I'm not sure because he may, or he may be able to duplicate himself in several places at once or by location. But anyway, in terms of, uh, in terms of being a speaker and developing workshops, did you do anything uh, as a youngster that might have led you down this path? Well... I did help my father uh, with his multi-level marketing businesses. Uh Aha. One of the things that uh, 
shaped me when I was young as I was in a car accident. I was crossing the street and the car turned in and hit me. And I spent three weeks in the hospital. My grandfather wound up in the room next to me because he had a bit of a heart attack when he saw me on the news. And uh, that really changed my life. It got me to the point where I became, uh, uh, well, I wanted to say a nowhere kid. I felt my life wasn't going to go anywhere, and uh, I didn't ever have any friends, so I got out of it by getting friends and uh, talking to people and motivating them. You know, you, you, you told us part of the story. Uh, you know, I know we all have moments that define our future lives and careers, often a kind of wake-up call, like, like the first time you had an accident. But the fact is, you were not involved with just one accident. You were involved in like nine car accidents, eight of which should have killed you, right? Right. Now, what on earth happened to you? I mean... Let's see. Uh, that was the first one. I was three weeks in the hospital, all kinds of bloody mess. And uh, most of the others were cars turning and hit me when I was crossing the street. One uh, car T-boned me and uh, destroyed the car. I wound up in another accident where I bounced off the hood of the car and landed on my left knee. Haven't been able to walk right since, but I'm still uh, kicking. So, well, you know, I had a car a car accident where I was at a red light, perfectly legally, in a in a truck crashed into the back of our car and destroyed the car. And, um, and of course, the guy told me he had insurance, but he didn't and so forth. But the thing about it was that um, I, it really tra traumatized me, even though I wasn't responsible for it. It took me a long time to be able to drive, really, again, in a normal way. I'm still not completely there. So that I think these things can be very traumatic, right? Definitely. You know, I didn't drive for 20 years either. Uh, I only drive now because I have to. I live in an area where there's no buses, so... Yeah, well, I, I know. Um, I, I'm getting better at it. I haven't been able for a few years to get on the highway, though. Yeah, I haven't... Yeah, I'm with you on that. I haven't gotten on the highway in, like, 10 years either. Well, besides those, uh, do any of your life experiences stand out as particularly uh, formative? Yeah, when I was with the oil and gas company, that's where I really learned how to uh, train sales and how to uh, express what I knew and uh, ways that helped motivate people. It was my first experience with Les Brown, uh, the motivational speaker, and some of the other people like Zig Ziglar and whatnot. And, said, and I got Les Brown's... Uh, Live Your Dreams tape, and he says he became a speaker because he was in the middle of a workshop listening to someone talking. He says, how, did, how much does he get paid for this? He goes, $50,000. He goes, I know I can do this. <laughs> well, that is a good motivator. I think uh, I feel like giving a speech right now. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you talked about the sales stuff, stuff that you did, and you've talked a little bit about the oil sales. 
but you've done a lot of sales. Why don't you go over a little bit of it? Okay. Well, not just sales, but businesses where you sold. I've sold everything from toner to toothpaste and applesauce to oil wells. Uh, I was, I've, I spent 17 years selling my own poetry books and uh, CDs and going to tours and booking people uh, for festivals and showcase events. I I did a commercial for Nike once. Uh, What was the the Writers Exchange Literary Agency? Oh, the Writers Exchange Literary Agency. Well, I had gotten my first book, and I needed to market it. So I moved to uh, Los Angeles again and got a job for the Writers Exchange Literary Agency uh, doing marketing work in exchange for helping to promote my book. Ah. They, it was actually the agent who sent me to uh, a poetry reading for the first time to improve my speaking ability with his workshops, and that's how I got into poetry. Oh, really? That's interesting. And uh, that's where I met a producer who wanted to turn one of my poems into a screenplay. Little did I know that she would spend 17 years teaching me how to write screenplays to do it, but uh, we got that in front of producers now. Oh, good. Yeah, that's great. That's The Writers' Exchange was a really formative experience. And what about the, uh, I see some other thing, the Chadwick Financial Group. Chadwick Financial Group was, became Financial USA. That was the oil and gas company. Oh, I see. That was the name of the company that run, that I uh, sold oil wells for. I, my job was to raise the money to punch holes in the ground in Snake Mountain. Well, I understand that you wrote a presentation for them that... Uh, that, that that really exceeded their normal sales for this type of uh, type of thing, which was uh, $5 million, exceeded that. Well, I didn't write a program. What I did was I broke protocol. I was selling to a, a person in Colorado, and, and actually, the broker who was training me had been trying for five years to get this guy into the system. I got him on a new lead, and I just talked to him and said, look, his biggest problem was trust. He had had a lot of people in oil and gas burn him, so he wanted to, know, he wanted to work with me, but he wanted to know if he could trust me. So I broke protocol, and I gave him the number for the Securities Exchange Commission. Oh, Okay. I tell him to call him up, check out the firm. If he likes it, come in. If he doesn't, see ya. I got in trouble with the principal. They told me if he comes in, great. If not, you're fired. <laughs> Did they think there was something in the SEC? Well, the SEC, the way it works is if you give out a lot of the SEC and they get a lot of calls, your firm gets investigated. Oh, I see. So they didn't want a lot of people calling and finding out why they're calling the SEC. So I broke the part of the guy came in for, and the public uh, well, and the public offering for $50,000. I was on a 6% commission, so I was very happy. The principal says, look, he trusts you now. Let's get him in the private stuff. Uh-huh. So I called him back up and said, hey, look, 
I know I promised not to call you uh, uh, for a year while you to the private stuff, but this private stuff is real good, and we don't want you to miss out. My principal's breathing down my neck. He wants you in it. I'll send you this stuff. What do you think? Send the stuff out. Call him a couple hours later. He says, it looks good. Let me crunch some numbers. How much do you have left? I said, we just started. It's a $5 million project. He sends a check for $5 million. <laughs> Did he make money? Well, that's good. Okay, so with all the stuff that you're doing, I know that you had another secret little uh, training, which was in Toastmasters. And what was that like? What happened well, there? I, I want, well, poetry and presenting are two different animals. You don't, writing poetry is easy. Making a speech is a little bit more difficult. Okay. So I wanted training to learn how to make a speech. Somebody suggested Toastmasters. So I, I went through the program. I did the. They have a ten speech manual where you actually learn how to do speaking by giving speeches. So I went through the ten manual, got my certificate, and now I'm mentoring people through Toastmasters in my club to uh, help them start too. Wow. Well, we're going to um, we're going to take a break now. Okay. And we're going to be right back, and we're going to get more into the poetry and some of the other literary uh, adventures that you've had. We'll be right back. My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, is a California corporation specializing in the creation of media and promotional content. We are focused on original, innovative projects that are good for humanity. These projects could be non-fiction books or novels, fictional screenplays or documentary content, websites and website content, commercial advertising content for print, audio or video products on the internet, television or radio, musical scores for advertising, television or film, video, audio editing, etc. We want to promote products and projects that support the environment, encourage a healthy experience in living, developing, nurturing and useful technology and offering platforms for positive socially constructive entertainment or informative transformative media our experience in creating a variety of products like this is rather vast and we offer client-based and collaborative products as well as the opportunity of active investors to join us in the creation and promotion of proprietary products some of which are in latter stages of development for more information go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com that's www.newgalaxyenterprises.com. If you're interested in talking to us, just fill out the contact sheet and we will get back with you. Are you confused about so much information on health issues? Do you find it hard to trust the sources of conflicting advice? Try Dr. Rodier's newsletters and blogs based on the latest information published in the best medical and nutritional journals. There's no charge for subscribing. Just log on to HugoRodier.com, that's H-U-G-O-R-O-D-I-E-R.com, to do so, or to download Dr. Rodier's latest publications. Here's a short, memorable clip from a powerful song by Patty Greer, Something We Must Not Forget, May Peace Prevail on Earth. May peace prevail on earth, and let the children sing. 
We're back on Threshold Radio with Laughing Larry Berger, who is, among many other things, a poet, and has actually made money in poet, as a poet, and, and actually has uh, created quite a, a different approach, I think, to uh, the overall aspect of being a poet, not just speaking at an open mic, not just writing it, but actually making it happen, which most poets do not do at all. Can you tell us about that? Well, I started out by attending a reading at Midnight Special Bookstore on Thursday Promenade in Santa Monica, and I fell in love. A couple of people saw me there, and one of them was a woman named Marilyn M. Murphy. She was one of the major players in the LA scene at the time, and she got me on the circuit. I started going to various clubs and uh, reading, well, doing my poetry. I don't really read. I'm more of an instant performance artist. Uh, So you're doing poetry spontaneously? Yeah. That's how I got the title of my book. It's Instant Poetry, Just Add Words. Well, that's that's just amazing. That ain't easy. Now, somebody gives me a title, I make a poem on it within 30 seconds or less. Well, like we said earlier, I write sales pitches. That's all a poem is to me. It's a sales pitch. I'm selling you an idea or a concept. Your exchange is you accept that concept and take it in and say, oh, yeah. Or you give me applause. That's the sale. That's the exchange. No, I'll tell you what. I can't can't wait any further. I want to hear a a few of your poems before we go on. I I refuse to talk about it until I hear something. (laughs) All right. How about In the Life Of? Okay. In days of old when nights were bold and the minstrels carried the tune, spring flew in on Robin's wing and lasted from March till June. If you had the call to make a journey north of Hadrian's Wall and found yourself in the need of renewing Hope's Bright Spark, you simply forge a new quest and search for a nest of the bird they call the meadowlark. And these days I find we having the time to listen for a season's song and take nary a blink to stop and think. And for one, I consider this to be very wrong. Ah, but there are those heroes, those few, those shaman sage, those for whom life is in bloom and all the world's a stage. Yes, these truly are the heroes who make sure we'll never know what it's like to lose. The kiss of a breeze or an elder's weaves or the voice of the singing goose. For you have my word, it is the birds that bring the voice of the gods to man. So won't you please take the time to ask for a rhyme or write one yourself and join in the band. <laughs> okay, let's have another. Okay, give me a title. Okay, I, I want you to do one about you're out on the street as a kid in Halloween. And you see a pumpkin thrown on the side of the street. And you go over into the pumpkin and you pull out a whole huge bag of candy. Okay. That's it. Okay. Halloween pumpkin. Frolic of evenings began in days of old. Sometimes spirits dance with happiness and sugar. And sometimes we find that life begins with a dream. Okay, is that it? That's it. That's good. So I'm going to ask you a few other things. I see that you wrote something called, I I, know, I think it's a website, the poetrysuperhighway.com. Right. What, I, was, what was that? Well, that's my friend Rick Lupert's website. It's uh, the third largest database of poetry and uh, poetry-related websites in the world. They publish poets twice a week and have an annual contest, and I was in their uh, 
Yom HaShoah Holocaust Remembrance Day booklet online ebook. Uh-huh. What, what it says here is 5111 is part of their Holocaust Day Remembrance issue? Yeah. One of my poems was in their five uh, in, uh, fi- in uh, 2011. Oh. So, now, I'm looking at all this literary stuff that you've done, and I don't even know what to choose, but, of course, since I am a fan of the Green Lantern, I uh-huh. want to know what uh, the Green Lantern, a guide for achieving the American dream. That was my first book. It was It's a self-help guide based on uh, poetry and my experience as a lifelong salesman. I actually wrote it on the ward when I was in a suicide depression, and it's what got me out of it. I was walking through the ward with my nurse, going to the bathroom, and I happened to see an episode of Rush Limbaugh. He said something like, you can't earn any money in America, no one can make even $2,000 a year for an IRA. I got very angry and uh, started mouthing off to my nurse about all this way she could do it and other stuff. She goes, Larry, for a year you've been depressed. Now you're passionate. You're happy. You're doing stuff. I'm going to get you a pen and a piece of paper. You're going to write it out. Three months later, I was out of the hospital and on my way to California again to get the uh, literary agency to get the book published. Wow, that's interesting. Well, what about instant poetry? What's that? Instant poetry is a compilation book that uh, I wrote for a tour to help sell The Lantern, and it's now in its third edition. And Instant Poetry is just what I did for you. It's give me a title, I'll give you a poem within 30 seconds or less. The ones I remember that are any good, I wrote down. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Now, I see something here that I don't know what it means. Chocolate Box? Chocolate Box was another one of my books. I've done nine books of original poetry, The uh, Lantern, five movies, two shorts, and six seminars. So I see you have another book, uh, Survive in a Modern Economy. That's The Lantern. That's The Lantern. Okay. Well, now I see you have a bunch of different credits here. You, uh-huh. you did win the Toastmasters Competent Communicator Award. What's yes. that? What is that? Is that's that, that's uh, like a big award, isn't it? Well, it's your main, first major award in Toastmasters. It means you've completed the program. You've completed the first 10 manuals and you've learned how to speak. The award they offer you. What is the Academy of Peer Services Certification Course Completion Award? Academy of Peer Services. There is a movement among the uh, mental health community to help people who have been in treatment for a long time, help other people that are just starting and starting to get off. It's called the peer movement. You're basically helping each other get better. Oh, okay. Now, the Academy of Peer Services exists because in 2000 and they passed a law that says you have to be licensed to do this. I fought against it. I fought hard against it, but I lost. Oh, really? You have to be licensed to, to get to do the work now. How can you get a license to be a friend? <laughs> That's so stupid. Yeah. Well, tell us a little about of your, your ability to merchandise poetry. I mean, get into some of the details of what you actually accomplished financially. Well, financially, I... Well, I got my books in the Barnes & Noble and on Alibris and all the websites. They're available around the world in bookstores and online. And that was a mistake, actually. I spent a lot of time working on the books. You know, how, many, how much uh, can you make from an $8 book at one time? 
And you need a lot of books. Yeah. So I started seeing that I was making more for doing the readings and doing the workshops and teaching people how to be poets. So I started focusing more on that than selling books. It's a tough racket. I well, know. It's not a tough racket if you know what you're doing. Well, let's, I will agree with that probably, yeah. although I don't know what I'm doing. but I. It's, it's a question of looking at it not as a thing you do, but as an actual job. A poet is a job title, just like a farmer or a dietitian or a sales professional or a executive. It's a job title. If you look at a poet as a job title, you're working as a poet. You're gonna, you've got to spend eight, eight to nine hours a day doing the work of a poet. You've got to get bookings. You've got to make deals financially. You've got to get grants. You've got to get loans. You've got to get sponsors. You know, it's not difficult. It's just you got to do it. How did you actually get into the instant poetry stuff? I went to a reading and somebody said, do a poem. I said, all right, give me a title. And they gave me a title. I did a poem in 30 seconds. They said, hey, let's do that again and again and again. And it became my thing. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, look, uh, we're, we're approaching the end of our program, and I want people to be able to get a hold of you or your books. Okay. And could you give us some info on that? Sure. I can be reached best via my email. It's lberger1027 at gmail.com. That's lberger1027 at gmail.com. You can also reach me through LinkedIn or Facebook. And... If you want, you can call me at 585-233-1068, 585-233-1068, and check out my LinkedIn page. That sounds good. Well, Larry, thanks a lot for working with us today. Thanks for having me. It's been a great experience, and uh, I, I wish you well, and I hope we'll keep in touch. For sure. You take care now. The Coalition is a unique project designed to empower its members both individually and collectively. Besides individual empowerment, its broader focus is on the restoration, protection, and enhancement of citizen and human rights throughout the world through the aid of its members. As this project is centered in the United States, our first task is to create a website and social network infrastructure to promote collective efforts to take back our rightful control as citizens over our government as designed by our founding fathers. Although we must begin with a social network restricted to United States citizens, the organization will also host a global dialogue for the discussion of human rights by citizens of democratic nations throughout the world. If you're interested, please check us out in the GoFundMe.com website, entering in the search field, The Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. That is, go to GoFundMe.com and enter in the search field, The Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. This is Johnny Blue Star. Imagine a dark night. The wind is crisp and cool. The sky cloudless and majestic. Perhaps you are walking alone or with a loved one. Scattered about the night sky are thousands upon thousands of points of light. Look above you, friends of this restless planet. Out there into the night sky, unknown worlds await. Beauty behind imagination. Intelligence beyond comprehension. Life in its infinite forms and variations yet all from the same seed, the same fundamental vibration. A cosmic tapestry of infinite light, yet each thread unique and indispensable. Look above you, out into the vastness of the night sky, for your destiny lies out there, 
somewhere among the stars. We go out with Patricia Welch's marvelous version of La Vie en Rose. This song was actually written and sung by the famous French singer Edith Piaf. Although Patricia Welch's version is not an imitation of Edith Piaf's performance, Patricia surely has captured the passion and depth of this beautiful song. Surely Edith would agree. This is how it was meant to be sung. Des yeux qui font baisser la mière Un rire qui soupercer sa bouche Voilà la porte pressant les touches De l'homme qu'elle a jappantière Comme de me prendre dans ses bras Il met pas la tout bas, j'avoue la vie en rose. Il me dit des mots d'amour, des mots de tous les gens, et ça me fait quelque chose. Il est entré dans mon De bonheur dont j'ai connu la cause. Il a pour moi ma pluie dans la vie. Il me le dit l'enjouer par la vie. Et de que je la Alors je sens en moi mon cœur qui Oh, 